Welcome to this week's edition of the Week in Sports Cars podcast with me, Graham Goodwin, and not Marshall Pruitt this week. Uh, Marshall uh, otherwise engaged this week, but uh, never fear. Uh, we thought, who can we get that's as batshit crazy as MP? It's went through my very long list of racing drivers, most of whom are indeed batshit crazy. Found one of the batshit craziest and delighted to say, being joined here by Le Mans winner, Junetta and um, Bentley factory driver, uh, long time Dyson Racing legend, now United Autosports LMP2 driver and part time Trans Am driver as well. Welcome to the Week in Sports Cars to Guy Smith. Guy, uh, great to have you. Batshit crazy. Wow, that's uh, that's that's a. I don't think I've ever been introduced as being batshit crazy before, but I I I, I'm, I, I think it's a compliment, Graham. I'm, I'm not sure, yeah. but um, yeah. I'll, I'll take it anyway. But let's, let's, thanks. Let's agree that's what it is. <laughs> no, thanks for having me. Um, obviously, I'm a huge fan of the, of the podcast, and um, you know, uh, absolute pleasure to be on it, and uh, looking forward to it. Great stuff, man. It's been a busy time for you with uh, Petit Le Mans just behind us. There's plenty of questions about what was an extraordinary Petit Le Mans coming up very shortly. Um, but beyond that, uh, a new world for you in driver management as well, which you know I think is going pretty well. Yeah, it's keeping me busy, Graham. I mean, um, obviously, I kind of I've done the, the Johnny Merlin retire. I went to the Johnny Merlin retirement school. And... So you've not really retired then. <laughs> well, I, you know, I kind of retired obviously in 2018 from from the factory Bentley racing and um, took some time out, but realised that you know I still really enjoy enjoy driving and enjoy the racing, but. Um, in a slightly more relaxed environment. I, th- I yeah. think now I'm doing it more really for for myself and just kind of enjoying it. You know, we get to these great races such as, you know, Petit Le Mans, which we just had in Sebring. And kind of when you're very much in that kind of factory environment, you you don't really take it all in. And and what I'm trying to do now is trying to take it all in and enjoy it a little bit more. Um, but of course, I still want to perform well. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably not, um, you know, not at my peak anymore, but I still really enjoy it. And uh it's, it's it's a great to sort of, you know push myself against some of these young kids as well. Yeah, I must admit, I mean, there was a time when uh, you you mentioned Johnny, and he did a great job uh, on comms actually for the race uh, last weekend. I keep having to remind myself just a week ago, and um, there was a point where after he announced his retirement that we were going to do a weekly thing, which is Johnny Molan announces his retirement. And here's the races that Johnny has raced in and won this week. Because uh, he seems to be racing more into retirement than he did before it. But uh, moving on, uh, we did put a very quick call for questions announcing the fact you were going to do the show this week uh, onto Twitter. We've got a handful of those to chuck in front of you. The first of them uh, is about another one of your latter-day exploits. It comes from Chris Mark and Chris says, hi, Guy, what was it like to drive the Ginetta LMP1? Any reflections on that programme? He loves the car, wishes it had better luck. Good question. Um, What was it like to drive? It was fast. It was very fast. Um, I mean, I remember when I first drove the car um, in back in, I think it must have been 2019. I think we tested it at Paul Ricard. And bear in mind, I'd been out of prototypes probably the best part of four or five years having, having done GT. And to be honest with you, it blew my mind away how fast that sort of the AR engine in there was. It was it was a rocket. Um, but the car itself was 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 really, really, you know, very impressive. Um, I think the word underdeveloped was the, you know, was was kind of the best way to describe that that car. I think it had so much potential um you know i think it's just that the wc is obviously very competitive and the rebellion is a very sorted car 
Um, but kind of for, for the development that it had, it was a it was a really really fantastic car. Um, uh, you know, it's a shame that it uh, it kind of ended a little bit prematurely, really. I mean, you've been part of you know a number of efforts. Bentley is the the one that springs immediately to mind, but there've been others as well with some Racing uh, and the the various programs that they had. You know the difference that 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 level of development can make in a program at that kind of level. Uh, yeah, you know we're not talking you know points of one percent, are we? There was a lot more to come. There, there was a lot more to come. Yeah, I mean you know motorsport things things move very quickly, don't they? And um, you know, you've got to be constantly developing and, and testing and, and and moving forward. And just unfortunately, you know, we we just didn't have that that the ability to do that. Um, once you you know, we pretty much went straight into the the start of the wet season. And once the seasons started, the cars are pretty much on the road, and and which then means that your obviously ability to test is is, is pretty minimal. So you find yourself testing on on a race weekend. But um, you know that you know that being said, I I don't think we disgraced ourselves. I think. Um, you know, had a, had a few. There was a few fastest laps. Um, you know, Charlie Robertson had a, had some really good, really good stints in the car as well. And was 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 right up there. But of course, you know, with the BOP, you know, it, it sort of played to our favour a little bit, obviously compared to the Toyotas. But still, um, you know, it was it was good to get the car out there. It was good for the for the um, for Ginetta, obviously as a company, and uh, also great for the WEC to have you know more prototypes out there. Absolutely. And that might well end up being one of the latter day LMP1 mites have beans. Um, also, looking at that fantastic class, Ewan Wayne uh, mm. says uh, it's been asked before and it'd be asked again, but he has to. Road America 2012, the last lap. Guy, what was it like inside the cockpit? Um, for Gigi, wherever in the world were you watching from? I was here at home uh, watching that, but you were in the cockpit. Set the scene for those that perhaps are coming to sports car racing a little later about the season and that race. And then what you and Zaski is for here, which is what was it like under the huge pressure you must have been at that moment? Oh, obviously, I was completely cool and calm and collected. Um, <laughs> no stress at all. Um, no, <laughs> no, I mean, basically, you know, that particular year, we, we kind of struggled. We, we were on the um, on on the Dunlop, uh, wide Dunlop tyre. Um, Dunlop's a fantastic tyre, by the way. Um, but this was this tyre particularly was underdeveloped um, in, in, in the IMSA with, with, with the P1 car. And we kind of struggled all year, really, uh, against the uh, against the Acura. We just... You know, occasionally we, we had the pace, but generally we were, we were a little bit off. And um, uh, I remember in that particular race, um, the, the Acura was, was was catching, you know, fairly quickly. And they were counting me down on the radio saying, OK, he's, you know, he's, he's 10 seconds behind, he's eight seconds behind, seven seconds behind. And I'm top, trying to sort of count down how many seconds he is behind and how many laps there are to go and trying to work it all out in my, he- in my head. And I knew it was going to be pretty pretty close at the end and of course that's that's just what happened um the the, the little mazda you know had a lot of, a lot of poke which just kind of kept me ahead on 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 the straights but in the corners it was it was uh, it, it was tough so i was just trying basically not to make any mistakes because i knew if i made any mistakes in the corner he would get a run and 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 and, and pass me and um you know lucas is a, a very very smart racing driver and um uh, it, you know it was it was a lot to keep him behind and you know, literally the last lap, I knew that he'd probably have a go. And of course he did into the final corner. And my initial impression was, oh shit. And then, then I thought, hang on a second, you know, <laughs> he's actually ran wide. I can go for the undercut because again, I knew the, the master had the power. And, and it was one of those, it was a case of, as he went past, I thought, well, there's nothing I can do apart from go for the undercut, which I was able to do. And fortunately, 
um, you know, I was able to get enough of a run um, that I managed to pip him to the line. But of course, the year before that, in 2011, it was the other way around. You know, it was it was um, it was me ch- chasing down Klaus Graf um, for, for the win. So the tables turned. So the fact that they won the year before, I felt that we 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 definitely deserved uh, deserved it in 2012. So yeah, it was a, it was a good fun race. Uh, what was the gap at the line? Do you remember? <laughs> it wasn't much. I, I, it possibly <laughs> it possibly is the closest. Oh, it certainly was at the time the closest uh, ever, um, you know, IMSA or LMS finish. Um, so it was, it was literally probably quarter of a car length. So um, yeah, it was, it was as close as it gets, I think. Absolutely amazing stuff. Final question that's directed to you and only to you uh, comes from Graham Engleby, and this one again, it's probably worthwhile people that perhaps don't know your background uh, giving a bit of context. And Graham says, "Does Guy have a caravan or a motorhome?" <laughs> it's not the most exciting subject, is it? Let's be honest. I mean, <laughs> but an important but, part of the, the backstory. But an important part of the backstory, yes. Yeah. So, so my, my family um, run the, the Swift Swift Caravans, Swift Group. So we manufacture caravans and motorhomes and um, holiday homes. And probably if I if I'd not made it in racing, I probably would be working on, in building caravans, which trust me, for everybody who ever buys a caravan, you don't want me working on it. Um, <laughs> but but. So the answer to the question is I don't actually have anything um, because not because I don't use the product. It's just because um, I, I, I don't really need to use the product because I'm, I'm never really at home. Um, and, if, and if I do, my, my kids keep pestering me saying they want to go off in a motorhome, so, um, which, which actually be a lot of fun, but um, just haven't got around to doing it. But uh, when, when I used to race at Le Mans and stuff, I used to take a motorhome with me there, which was always nice to be based on site. Um, so uh, so I'd say probably a motorhome over a caravan, I'd say. Motorhome over a caravan, that day is coming. I can tell you right yep. now, that day is coming. <laughs> Let's move on to the regular questions. And uh, again, with thanks to Daniel Summersgill, um, who uh, has put the questions together for us this week. And sh- I should say, by the way, I just realised I've completely forgotten to say thanks so very, very much to our regular backers, of course, for Weekend Sports Cars, to Cooper Tyres to the Justice Brothers and to TorontoMotorsports.com. Uh, without them, there would be no show. But uh, Daniel again has uh, put together the questions for us. And uh, we're going to chuck the IMSA ones principally to you, Guy, after, as I say, a hectic, uh, incident-filled uh, and thrilling uh, end to the IMSA season. Uh, and principally coming to you because you weren't sitting watching it, you were sitting in it. And I'm sure there was plenty of banter. There always is in the Emerson paddock. It's one of the nicest places in motorsport to be. And I'm sure you're loving being back there. Um, so many storylines. Before we get into the questions, just a, just a kind of a general impression from you, how 2021 at uh, Petit Le Mans at Road Atlanta measured up? Hectic is the word probably you would use. I mean, let, 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 first of all, it's great to be back. You know, IMSA racing is, 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 you know, I'm obviously a huge fan, having spent many years racing IMSA, but I think you probably ask any European driver that races in IMSA or has raced in IMSA uh, would agree that it's it's their favourite place. Um, and that's that's the combination of the nature of the racing. It's the circuits are, are fantastic. Um, they've got lots of character. And of course, the fans, you know, the original saying, you know, from, from Don Panas, you know, for the fans, it, it, it really is about the fans. And of course, this last weekend, you know, we had, it felt like a normal motor race where the, 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 the fans were allowed onto the grid and it was packed. It was, it was heaving. And, and, and that's what makes 
these races so special. So, so, the, so that 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 was all great. The race itself, I mean, it, you know, it's kind of a classic. I mean, you know, we loved we love a bit of drama, and there was certainly plenty of drama right the way throughout the field. Um, but that's that's what makes sports car racing so exciting is 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 the drama and and all the different multi class racing. And uh, but it was a particularly hectic race. But yeah, uh, but, I, yeah. I, I mean, Joe Nowotny, with the first of the questions, we're going to bowl your way, uh, sums up some of that, at least. Mazda winning its last DPR race. The uh, Mayor Shank uh, Acura failed to win at all in 2021. Neither Corvette finished the last Simpson GTLM race. WeatherTech Porsche swapped positions to the win. But in each of those, it were feel-good stories, feel-bad stories, massive conspiracy, just how modern BOP sporty car racing goes. Without getting into the ins and outs of each of those individual things, it was a bit like that, wasn't it? There were storylines coming out all the way through. And in just about every class, there were incidents, there were accidents, there was drama. Uh, and, and we couldn't write those headlines again at Petit Le Mans until the chequered flag had flown. Yeah, there was there was something going on literally for you guys trying to sort of keep abreast of what was going on and 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 you you just literally finished writing something something else has happened and it was like that you know it's like they say safety cars breed safety cars i mean you do a safety car you, you'd get going again there'd be another safety car and it's like what's happened now what's going on now there's always something going on but i mean obviously master winning fairy tale story fantastic for them great way to to finish um, you know the 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 Acura failing to win. Hey, you know it's it's someone. There's, there's winners and losers. Those guys did a fantastic job all year. It went down to the wire literally. I mean, it couldn't have been a, a more uh, exciting finish. That's that's just you know that's just IMSA racing, which is fantastic. Uh, you know Corvette. You know it's a shame uh, that they had their they you know, they had a, an awful race from from that res, you know respect. But um, but yeah, just just so much going on. I I, I think um you know there was there was uh, you know I think the um. Action Express, Action Express guys deserve to win the championship as well. They've had a fantastic year, so it's been good. Yeah, it's been it's been a good, exciting uh, event. There's, there's a number of questions. Ricky Zagata, Caleb Whistler, uh, John Bojnar, Jamie Bender. Variety of questions and a variety of points of view on. The, I don't know. I can't recall. You weren't in the car at the end of the race, were you? I wasn't, but I mean, I was kind of watching it. I mean, I, I think um, Rick is re- referring to the... Um, this is the, the last lap. Yeah, yeah, the action. I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? I mean, you know, the the, the Ricky was chasing down uh, NASA and, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's 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 a championship, isn't it? This this is for the championship, pretty much. So, you know, it goes into the, you know, going into the sort of final overtaking spot into the chicane on the last lap. You know, Ricky's really miles back, you know, but he's just he just come off the brakes and sent it. And and and, and NASA's seen him coming and sort of gone to sort of slightly block. Uh you know, it, it was never gonna be on. And of course he went across the grass and 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 and, and that was that. But it was it was a it was a, a optimistic move, but you know, hey, you know, I think when you're going for the championship you, you sort of try these things. But luckily there was no major contact. Um and I think both cars finished and probably finished in the right order. It probably, probably sort of got the finish in DPI for that championship that we wished we'd got, at least the um, the, the dynamics of it. We wish we'd got a GT Pro in Bahrain just a couple of weeks ago, uh, where the shenanigans and the unintentional contact, I think, from Alessandro Pierguidi on uh, Michael Christensen rather robbed us of that. Uh, but what you got there was proper last lap drama, uh, to settle a major championship between two major teams, two major players, both of whom wanted it very much. And I guess the questions that come out from that are, how would IMSA have called that 
if the results had gone the other way. And, and it's been a, a kind of point of questioning throughout this year and throughout the time we've been running with the weekend sports cars. Very different cultures, Guy, in terms of the way that race control, um, and I mean that you know, in, in its descriptive turn, is, is managed in WEC and in IMSA. Yeah, I think I think probably um, IMSA is a little bit more open, a bit more free, um, and they're probably a little bit uh, more forgiving, I would say. Let's say, um, but I think there's probably a happy medium. I think you know maybe maybe slightly too much. I think there's probably somewhere in the middle where you know you've got to you know you've got to be not scared of issuing penalties if you think that there's some the standard of driving is poor so um yeah i think there's probably a happy medium there w- w- with that and um there's a, there's a few things over the course of the weekend a few driving standards that i thought were a bit questionable um that maybe should have been penalized or or, or whatever but um seemed to have you know seemed to have slipped under the net as it were um and i think sometimes maybe that, that could have been uh, dealt with a bit better perhaps yeah let's move on from that one and into one of the other major instance of the race which was the multi 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 car gt uh incidents and the run down to turn 10 at the restart and again multiple questions on this one with multiple points of view being expressed brian terpstra like mike miller kind of Wilsler again stephen ellis um <laughs> I guess the question here, let's, let's run through what the incident was. And, and again, I'm presuming you saw this one. This was the one that wiped out multiple GTDs and uh, Jordan Taylor's Corvette. Um, yeah. But it came at a restart, didn't it? Yeah, this, this, is, this, is, what, this is one of the, um, the, the restarts. And then within half a lap, you know, it was, a, it was under safety car again. Because obviously with the, 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 the class splits, um being in in the, in the prototypes you know obviously you'd be further up towards the front so we literally done a restart probably quarter of the way around the lap and then it was safety car again and i'm thinking to myself you know what, what the hell's going on why are we under safety car again we've just been on the safety car for for a, a period of laps and of course you know then came around and it, it literally was carnage i mean it was like an airplane crash it was just debris everywhere and of course to see all those cars you know taken out of the race was 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 was, was horrible but you know i think um you know the, the the nature of the the way that it works the, the restarts are in IMSA because you can race once it goes green you know one hand that's quite good and exciting and I, and and I, and I, and I, I get it and the other hand is in in the respect for the GT cars that are obviously further back they're still obviously entering that that chicane when it goes green so for them racing's on so if you're sort of slightly further back in the pack you're looking to try and make a move on some of the maybe the slower cars ahead of you and which means the racing starts and of course it just it just you know it just everyone just backed up and you know yeah. some of the cars were accelerating because they wanted to get the jump and some cars were braking because the cars were braking ahead of them and of course it's a bit like being on a on a freeway you know on a, on a motorway where the, the traffic backs up and and you have this concertina effect and you know everyone crashes into each other and, and unfortunately i think it was uh it, it was a really messy accident so yeah. you could say well maybe what what we do is we don't we don't race until it doesn't you know you can't pass until you get to the start finish line yeah you know one hand that's maybe not as exciting but it might help some of that situation that we had at uh Rodeland, potentially yeah i mean it'd be interesting to find out whether or not imsa have got any kind of appetite for a kind of uh, a track specific regulation like that in certain tracks it's less of an issue when you've got the 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 scope of the field 43 cars 
um, you've got cars going back to green flood racing into a heavy braking zone and a very slow speed corner. And because you've got that mix of GTLM and GTD cars, which we did, yeah. that, that certainly was part of the problem. Uh, worth saying, by the way, to uh, get uh, opportunity to see some fan footage from the uh, exit of Turn 10. And um, it it's, did seem to me as if that a couple of three cars had been going for the kind of the... Um, the overtaking opportunity uh, had checked up the 16 car. It looked to me was what actually started the kind of the knock on effect here. And um, whilst we've got a couple of people who've been pretty um, critical of Jordan Taylor here, for me, seeing the in car from Jordan coming over that crest, 137, 138 miles an hour, the second, the moment he saw the uh, instant emerging in front of him, uh, he was clearly on the brakes and looking to try to steer, but couldn't because there was a car to his outside, cars to his inside, got the um, the speed of the car down to just under 110 miles an hour at point of impact, a huge impact. And my God, Guy, we can be thankful, can't we, of the progress that's been made in safety standards? Yeah, I mean, it's a horrible feeling. I mean, to be to be honest with you, Road Atlanta as well, because of the nature of the circuit, because you're kind of coming over a crest and then down the hill into the braking zone. I've had it before where I've, I've come over there at probably 60% and the, literally the traffic stopped. And so it's, so it, 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 the, the circuit kind of breeds that into it as well. Um, but you're right, in, in terms of the safety of the cars, I mean, you know, thank God, every, I mean, it looked horrendous. So, you know, thank God that everybody was 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 fine. But it's just an awful feeling. It's an awful feeling when you come over and everything's stopped because we've all been there in our road cars and suddenly the traffic stops and you're thinking, God, I'm going to crash into the back of somebody. It's, it's probably even worse when you sat there and you stopped and you're thinking, and you can see cars coming up speed behind you and literally you, you can't do anything about it so it's, it's a horrible feeling all around but um yeah thank thank god nobody was uh, nobody was injured good stuff um we've got a couple of questions about bmw and their role in imsa with lmdh and the announcement that came in the run-up to uh, petit le mans that uh, bmw team rll uh, will be the bmw factory representatives next year with probably a single car full season car in gtd pro before moving on to being their lmdh program partners in 23 and beyond daniel summersgill uh, says uh, exactly that and uh, says will it be one and done for rll and gtd pro and also are imsa disappointed with the single car uh, entry commitments from rll and corvette i i think it, for me and i'd be interested whether or not this has been part of any conversation you've had in particular uh, you know, because clearly you're keeping a very weather eye on the driver market guy. I think IMSA's feeling would be they'd always like more without a shadow of a doubt, but they're going to have a much better handle on the scope and scale of their GTD Pro field than we do at the moment. And everything I'm hearing from some very good senior sources is that they're perfectly happy with GTD Pro. Would they have liked Corvette to come forward with two? Would they have liked RLL to come forward with two? They wouldn't have said no, I'm sure. But if what we've got is a credible eight, nine, ten car GTD Pro field, which looks still to be in prospect, my guess would be they'll take that for right now. What do you reckon, Guy? No, I completely agree. I think um, I think GTD Pro will be incredibly competitive next year. Um, obviously, we've got um, uh, yeah Corvette, uh, BMW, uh, Lexus confirmed, yep. um, and and there will be more. And I think the competition will, coming certainly with the Porsche coming. Yeah, and I think whenever you've got you know quality dri- you know driver lineups with 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 
top manufacturers, you know, the, the, the level is going to be high. And I think the racing will be will be spectacular. So, yeah, I think I think at the end of the day, I think probably uh, quality over quantity is, is, is probably is, is perhaps the, the, the story here. But um, it, as ever, it's, you know, the GT racing in, in IMSA is always uh, spectacular. So I, th- I think this will be um, we'll, we'll continue that trend. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, Matthew Lysons continues on the BMW uh, uh, theme and says, uh, how come there's such a heavy focus for BMW on America? Would have thought the biggest market to be Europe, then Asia. Surprise, WEC. Le Mans seemed nowhere on the agenda. Um, I think the answer on that one is it comes down to exactly what BMW North America decides they want to fund. And it's their eternal credit that they are deciding that uh, they want to do a full interseason. They've been pretty clear that I think Le Mans is on their agenda, but maybe for the future. Don't count out, whilst we're not going to get a BMW factory team in WEC, don't count out seeing BMW LMDHs in the WEC, maybe 23, maybe 24. Uh, there's a bit of hashtag wait and see on those fronts, but the beauty for me, Guy, of this, particularly the LMDH uh, formula, and let's not count out the prospect of customer LMH cars either, uh, is the fact that we are likely slash certain to see the re-emergence of a high quality, reasonably deep, I don't think we're, we're talking dozens of cars here, but reasonably deep pool of high quality privateer entries in what is a BOP um, governed class. That's got to be good for everybody. It's got to be good for the fans. It's got to be good for the championships concerned. And it's got to be great for the driver market as well. It's going to be huge. I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, if you look at IMSA as, a, as in a, in the past, it's kind of been the backbone of the sort of the prototype class has been the kind of privateer teams. You know, it's obviously Dyson, who, who I drove with, you know, Duncan Dayton, um, Greg Pickett, all these guys. In the, that's kind of been the backbone of um of the, certainly the prototype class in IMSA, and I think you know that's kind of gone away. Um, and I, and I'm I'm hopeful that that you know the sort of the the, the customer teams will, will come back and field cars in in LMDH, and you know the factories will will kind of focus more towards um, obviously Le Mans and, and perhaps WEC. So um, you know I, I, again I think it'll be very very competitive. That the factory drivers for sure will come over and, and do and and the, as I said they all want to race in IMSA as well and and, and keep sharp. Um, but it also opens the doors for some some new talent as well, maybe to try out in 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 the IMSA cars um, potentially for the future to move over to 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 Le Mans uh, down the line. So um, yeah, I think I think it's going to be really exciting to see, and um, hopefully we get um, you know, if we get to sort of you know eight ten sort of uh, LMD cars, then uh, that'd be fantastic. Fantastic stuff. It uh, it's truly does seem to be. We we say it a lot, but. Uh, I genuinely believe it. We could be coming into a really golden era. Lots of pressure. And I'm sure we'll get into that as we move into the Weckhouse Lums, Elms Echo uh, uh, part of the the, uh, the show. But lots of pressure on those that look after the technical aspects here. Balanced performance is not going to be simple between those two very different sorts of car, the LMH and the LMDH uh, bases for what's going to be called LMDH in uh, insert racing or what's going to be called hypercar in the WEC. A couple of questions here, which, okay, Kevin Kemp and Matt Nita, it's about the uh, the WeatherTech racing pair of cars that uh, with all the shenanigans in 
the GTLM class, and in particular, the incident that took Nick Tandy out of the reckoning, uh, produced a one-two. But what was spotted by some, not all, uh, was that those cars reversed order to cross the line. It was the 97, the not the full season car, but the full pro car uh, that was the addition for uh, Petit Le Mans only, um, ceded its winning position to the full season number 79 car, uh, which was effectively the Pro-Am uh, car with uh, with Cooper McNeil, whose family obviously is the title sponsor for the IMSA WeatherTech uh, Sports Car Championship and indeed for that team. <laughs> Mixed emotions, um, <sighs> team orders, and team orders, I guess, in these circumstances. It's, it's a reality, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure whether or not you've ever been party to or victim of that guy in your career but uh anything you can kind of add to the debate uh it's a it's a tricky one isn't it it's a, it's the politics of, of 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 motorsport i guess i mean obviously with cooper mcneil you know supporting the, the whole program um it, it's definitely going to be biased towards towards him and maybe they just maybe they had an agreement you know before the race that if, yep. if that if that car was in a position to win um that that he, he would get you know the, the preferential kind of treatment as it were but um yeah, it's a tricky one. I mean, obviously, no one wants to win a race um, by default, but uh, we see it all the time. We see it in Formula One, don't we? You know, we've seen it before. It, it, it's part of the politics of motorsport and, and what's, what makes the world go around, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, it's always nicer to win if you're the first one over the line, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess look at if, if you want to look at it in a slightly different way, look at it this way. Without uh, Cooper McNeil and the WeatherTech influence in that entry, it wouldn't be just that you had... Uh, just one car, you'd have none of those cars uh, because without that program, neither of those cars would have been um, at Petit Le Mans. I get it, it leaves a slightly bitter taste in the mouth when you see the kind of the verve with which, again, particularly Kevin Est, uh, approached the, uh, the task in hand. But uh, I guess you've got to look at it this way what do you want, cars on the grid or no cars on the grid? And sometimes that does come uh, at a cost. We're going to uh, round out the uh, the EMSA side of things here with a couple of questions. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ask the questions, I'm just going to ask you your impressions here because it's a marketplace I know you've been involved in. LMP3, Trevor Gagola and Caleb yeah. Whistler uh, both ask about LMP3. Um, all sorts of factors there. It's a bigger field than we've seen in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship before. I think it was 10 cars, wasn't it? Um, the LMP3 field. Um, yeah. They did have their their um their issues without a shadow of a doubt uh i'm going to chuck into the mix here the role that cold tires has to play uh in the imsa weathertech sports car championship and in particular when you put those cold tires on prototypes which are in the mix with gt cars on pace uh and on one of the most challenging racetracks in north america yeah it's it you're absolutely right it, it's a it's a awful situation to be in i mean any of the prototypes whether it be the the dpis the p2s or the p3s on cold tires and it was cold at um it was cold at the petit this year been a slightly later than normal i think it was minus one in in the evening it's not nice it's it's tricky and and that's that's coming from a a pro if you like retired pro whatever but it's tricky um but for a gentleman driver it must be you know pretty frightening because you literally come out the pits and you straight into kind of turn two turn three and you know, some of those GT cars come up pretty quick. So, it, you know, the, the, then then you want to try and get on it to try and get up to speed and it's easy to spin. 
Um, we've seen it before on like Spa 24 Hours, you know, on core tyres, there's been multiple, you know, accidents and, and what have you. And, and I think the, the P3 cars, you know, I think it's a fantastic formula and I think the cars are great, but I do think they are massively underpowered. And I think that for, for the, um, particularly for the amateurs, when they're racing and racing against the GT cars, I mean, certainly the GTEs, the, the, the slower on the straights. So it makes overtaking difficult um, and it makes dealing with traffic difficult. And I think that, you know, quite often they get they get caught up with other GT cars um, when when they probably shouldn't be, to be fair. So it's uh, yeah, it is a tricky one. Yeah. A couple of questions just to finish and to segue into the WC part of this. And it's it, it is the end. That was all she wrote about GTLM in uh, IMSA racing. And we'll miss it. And Guy, you know, you're one of a very exclusive club that has been a factory driver in both prototypes and GTs. And it's a very different driving discipline, isn't it? It is. It's very dif different. And I think ha I think now I, I appreciate the GT driving more. Having driven a GT car, I, I, I have a new respect or uh, for, for those guys. I mean, it, they are incredibly difficult to drive. Um, and as a prototype driver, um, I think now I'm much more aware of, of when I'm racing a G, you know, against the GTs of, of kind of what they're going through. So, um, but, you know, the GT Le Mans cars, I mean, fantastic cars. You know, the racing we've had over the years between BMW, Corvette, Porsche has been fantastic. Some of the best racing in, in IMSA. So it's, it's, it's sad to see those cars go, but, you know, things move on and, 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 and the sort of GTD, GT3, whatever you want to call it, is is kind of the future that's the way everything's going and 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 you know it's better that everybody's kind of all, all together in the same class going forward yeah i mean what it should give us is a bit more depth and a bit more variety that's clearly what everybody is, is going for um with imsa and will you know come along to play in the aco world from 2024 onwards so you know just to clarify that we've got one more year of gte pro in the FI World Endurance Championship and with GTE AM regulations in WEC and in the European Le Mans series. They will continue just the Pro-Am cars into 2023. And after that, uh, we kick in with again Pro-Am, but with some form of GT3 based formula, uh, which, you know, is, is, you know, under development behind closed doors right now. And, you know, <sighs> It's just it it's is. so confusing though, Graham. All these different classes. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just it's just a minefield. I mean, it's just. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you <laughs> and you got you know all you guys keep up to speed with it because it, it blows my mind. There's just so many different you know options and classes and years and it's it's a, it's a minefield. But um, yeah, hopefully well, we, that's we, gonna we, we might we might eventually get to the point, and it hasn't been the case so far. Remarkably, in mixed class endurance racing, there is there are no two championships in the world, and it's been the case for a long time now. No two championships in the world that have the same classes and cars racing. None mm. of them. Not the ACO rules racing. Not uh, the IMSA rules racing. There is all. There's always been some differentiation, some difference between the class structures, and maybe as we're coming together now with. Uh, with the the convergence era, maybe we will get to that. Um, it remains to be seen exactly what we doled out when we get to 2023 and 2024 in terms of what's going to be eligible and where. 
you know, what happens with LMP3, what happens with new LMP2 coming, uh, what uh, spec of GT car is going to be coming to ACO Rules Racing. We don't yet know that. We know it's going to be GT3 based, but we don't know whether or not it's going to be the same sort of GT3. So all sorts of things still up in the air. You know what? It's to, to be a sports car fan and a knowledgeable sports car fan, Boy, you've got to be committed because they don't make it easy for you. And they particularly don't make it easy when even the same cars are called something different from championship to championship. But these are the crosses we have to bear, I'm afraid. We're going to move on and we're going to move on into Weckhaslam's Elms and Echo. And if you're a regular listener, you'll know that's uh, our little moniker we give for the ACO Rules Racing, WEC, the Asia Le Mans Series, the European Le Mans Series and ACO. Um, and Damien Peachford, who's asked quite a lot of questions this week, uh, what impact could Audi or Porsche potential involvement in Formula One have on their LMDH programmes, if any? I mean, I'll ask you, Guy, is, is there much chatter in amongst the, the world of uh, motor racing guys about uh, the, this sort of potentially epic change in the structure of Formula One with, there's no doubt, two VAG brands looking to uh, find a way in in pretty short order. There, there, isn't there always, there's always chatter, isn't there? I mean, for as long as I can remember, you know, Audi's going to be in Formula 1 or Porsche's going to be in Formula 1. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I, don't, I don't dismiss that as, as that's not true. I, I think a lot of it is about timing and rules and politics and all the rest of it. I, I think there's the, they would they would absolutely be looking at it. They'd be silly not to be. Um, and it'd be great to have those those brands in Formula One because I think it would add to Formula One um, and 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 be another another great you know brand to have there. But um, I, I don't see that detracting from the LMDH. I mean, obviously both both of those brands have a such a strong sports car heritage, and um, they've obviously committed to to LMDH. Um, Certainly for the for the sort of you know medium term future. So you know I I, I don't think it's going to affect the, their sports car programs. Um, I think they're big enough that they can they can do both. Um, yeah. So I, I don't see that as a as a, as a as a big issue right now. I think the other thing to say is what we said a little earlier with LMDH is this potential uh, impact for the customer market on LMDH. So even if you've got a semi factory efforts with you know a very good team and with professional drivers, it can become a far more significant step on the ladder we, we, you know we've had periods of time haven't we guy and you've been part of this from your single seater career coming upwards um uh, it, that you know there's one defined path to formula one it's not quite that simple anymore and frankly i think it's very healthy that it's not quite that simple anymore that it's not f3 f2 etc etc we're increasingly seeing young drivers that factories with some formula one uh, interest in are finding ways to get those those drivers away from the back of the garage wearing a set of headphones or uh, just in a sim but to get them out right there racing something at a competitive level and, you know thinking of uh, drivers like Callum Allen, for instance who's you know out there clearly still with formula one aspirations correctly so but then putting him in, out there uh, into a race program that can only really help him stay sharp and to, to, to learn more and better racecraft. I think you're right. I think the, the more things you can drive, anything you can drive is going to make you better. I think whether it be a GT one weekend, uh, a, a GP2 an next weekend, an IndyCar, like you say, what Callum's been doing, I think yep. it, it's going to make him, him, him better. And I think, um, you know, the, the, we've seen that with Alonso, you know, coming and doing different disciplines. It also keeps you sharp. It keeps you 
um, motivated. It keeps you kind of fresh. Uh, and and it's great to see. I mean, yeah, you're right. For many years, it was kind of this was the route you went to, to do Formula One. It was seen F3 and F2. And this is what you did. But now the, the, there isn't such a, a definite path. And I think it's great to, to to see drivers coming and doing, you know, some of the Formula One guys coming and doing sports car racing. And also some of the sports car guys going, to, you know, ultimately potentially to Formula One, because I think... Yeah. I think the cars are massively dissimilar these days. There's not, there's not, you know, apart from the weight, there's not a lot in it really. To be fair, but I think one of the interesting things that we've we've seen this not many times, but on the odd uh, occasion, when you've got something that's got so much spec about it as a P2 car, even a P3 car, it takes special talent, both the engineering talent in the team and the driver talent, to stand out in that marketplace. And we have seen that two or three times, and we've seen some pretty special talents emerge from that. It, it, you know, it is unusual to see someone come out and dominate a season in something like an LMP2 car. And if someone's capable of doing that, probably best that people around motorsport stand up and take notice because you are there dealing with a pretty special uh, talent indeed. As for the rest of it, I mean, uh, I have little doubt that, you know, that uh, Porsche and Audi are both looking very closely uh, at Formula One. I've got still stories to write about Porsche and Audi and their longer term uh, strategic uh, choices that are sitting ahead and putting aside the stories that have been now denied by McLaren about an acquisition by Audi. Uh, what wasn't denied is discussions and uh, looking into the, the f- future options, etc. But uh, the denial that they've been acquired, and no doubt that that's that's not the case. They haven't been acquired by by Audi, but zero doubts. We've got some very significant players in the automotive industry looking at the best way forward for the next massive challenges that they've got, both technologically about the choices they make. And in the marketplace, which, if anything, is an even bigger challenge, what can you do that is going to give you a significant bang for your buck um, in a marketplace that is increasingly difficult for the automotive world to actually focus in on and uh, and shine through when you've got things like uh, all the questions about mobility, uh, policy and technology and climate change and, 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 plus all the all the things that history tells us are going to be the things that are going to be thrown in the, in the path of some of those brands and the choices they make as well. It is going to be a very interesting half a decade to come in motorsport and the wider automotive industry and some big choices will need to be made. Uh, we're going to get some victims here. There's no doubt in my mind. We're going to lose some big names uh, in the automotive industry in the next decade or so. But there's going to be some people that are going to be wanting to come out the winners. And there's little doubt at all in terms of the the aggressive way in which these choices are being fielded by the likes of VAG and their brands. Um, that they're looking to be on the winning side for that one. Let's move on. Um, Lawrence Kwai says, uh, speaking of BOP, okay, I wasn't, but let's go back to that. Uh, It's obvious from the effects of the BOP changes to Ferrari at Bahrain that they enjoyed a significant advantage at Le Mans, which is a double points paying event. Your thoughts? Um, Before I kind of wade into this one, I don't know if you watched Bahrain and um, observed the kind of the shenanigans that were going on on and off track, Guy. I watched some of it and I listened to your 
on this very fantastic podcast, uh, <laughs> the, the latest episode, and, and was was obviously trying to get an understanding of it. And um, it, it seems that Ferrari were kind of uh, playing some some BOP games, which it tends to be the same with all manufacturers. Everyone's kind of playing the game. Um, but uh, yeah, it sounds like it wasn't exactly uh, a cricket, to be fair. Yeah, I, th- I think my answer on it is, did they have... It's pretty clear that the powers that be were convinced enough that the on-track results that we were seeing from Ferrari in the races leading up to Bahrain did not live up to what they were being led to believe they should be. Therefore, Ferrari were given a significantly bigger hit in the BOP than they or probably anybody else was expecting. Um, the, the flip side of that is that the politics started pretty immediately. They started in terms of the way in which uh, the a matter was being discussed, both publicly and privately in the paddock in Bahrain with media, uh, with some of the behaviours on track early in the sessions with some... <sighs> How could we put this? Some gestures being made in terms of the car, the team's willingness to put the cars on track, and indeed the times that those cars were putting in uh, when the cars were on track. So all of that was kind of going on. We then got to the stage where half of what they lost was given back in time for the season finale, and then we saw the race that we saw. Ignore for a moment what happened in the last ten minutes. We had a highly competitive race. Um, that saw those cars nose to tail, able to battle, able to overtake, depending on the state of the tyres, more or less throughout the eight hours. Um, which means that if you want me to be sharply critical in one direction or the other, why not? It's a podcast and that's what we're here for. Um, it may well be that they got it wrong um, as far as the six hours of Bahrain was concerned, but spot on right for the eight hours of Bahrain which is particularly interesting when you bear in mind there was little difference in the tone from Ferrari once they got half of it back. They didn't want half of it back. They wanted all of it back. You can therefore draw from that that they would have been clearly a lot happier if they'd been allowed to win that race by a minute. It's as simple Mm. as that. Mm. So that's put aside what I think about it or you think about it, Guy. Put aside what Ferrari think about it or what the fan base thinks about it or Porsche think about it. That's the task for the technical teams at the ACO and the FIA. And here's where I think they're getting it wrong. The the gap is the credibility of their decision-making process. And I've long said it, and I'll say it again in the clear, which is the gap can be bridged by a simple matter, which is we are making this change. Here's why we're making this change. Here's a quick explainer. Uh, It doesn't have to be in terribly much detail. We're making this change uh, judged by data we gathered here, here and here. This is what this is the difference we expect that change to make. That's all it requires. Now, the reality is that both of those things have formed part of that decision making process. So they have made a decision based on data. They've not just plucked it out the air. And there is an intention in terms of what they're doing to performance of a particular level of restriction to be placed. I don't, genuinely don't, see a reason why that should not be out there in the public domain. It's st- it, it basically do nothing other than improve uh, people's interpretation of the motivations or the process or the engineering basis behind decision making. It helps people to understand. And critically, 
it takes away the absolute rampant nonsense that you know every single balance of performance change is made that's made in every major championship that you and I you know either observe or involved in is treated as if it's some kind of international crisis it just isn't it's a process it's a process which by the way every single team and manufacturer sign up to as part of the regulations and unless and until we're all prepared to play that game i don't away i mean away from uh, away from motorsport guy what what are the other sports you keep an eye on if you've got the time oh i love a bit of darts um okay. you, and nick, <laughs> you and nick tandy both well, so I'll, I'll put three in front of you for our particularly our british and australian audience cricket rugby yes. and football and by the football um for our american audience not what you call football you're wrong soccer. football soccer, soccer which is yeah. what you might call it so the, the point i'm going to make to you here as an observer is i think it would be fair to say wouldn't it that the difference in the way that the um the rules are observed publicly and in immediacy are very different between what we see in football and what we see in the other two the respect yes. for the rule book and the respect for the referees in cricket and rugby is pretty much immediate and all-encompassing okay there are dis dishonorable kind of um exceptions to that rule but in soccer football there is a very different public persona offered to the referee correct well, in, in, in rugby you know when when and it's great actually that the the, the refs are kind of mic'd up because i, I think that, yes. that that's really quite good is when is when the ref tells off the sort of seven foot wide <laughs> rugby player and he tells him like you've been a naughty boy and he kind of you know sort of nods his head and drops his head and walks off and like he's been told off yeah. uh, for eating too many sweeties and then and then in football you know it's it's it, they're all kind of arguing with the ref over the slightest little thing and, and it, it just makes a mockery of the sport because it's just like you just you just it just infuriates it slows the game down and and it, you, you lose respect for the players so i think you're absolutely spot on there with your with your analogy to be fair the, 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 the reality is you know here's the thing they are the rule makers they are the referees whether or not you agree with it there's a process to be followed suck it up let's yeah, go right. racing let's yeah. not have let's not have cars sitting on pit lane for half an hour in a fit of peak let's not do that yeah. let's not have everybody left to believe that you're three seconds a lap slower through free practice only to see that you're not let's not do that let's actually get out there and behave like the professionals that you all are and i mean generally with bop my experience with bop is nine times out of ten they get it they get it pretty pretty well sorted i mean it's a pretty difficult process and once they have enough understanding of the car and, and its strengths and weaknesses uh, you know certainly in the sro we, you know we found with the bentley um they were very very good at that and 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 you know there's going to be winners and losers there's, there's times it's going to work for you there's times it's going to work against you that's 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 just life you just got to take it and and there's, there's weekends where you've got the bop and you've got to execute and make sure you win that race because that's your that's your time to shine and of course when you haven't got the bop you've even got to be even better again because it's all about damage limitation and that over the course of the season you would you would like to think that you're gonna have it's gonna work for you it's gonna work against you but over the course of the season you would like to think it evens itself out I, I, that's the way i would look at it I, I there's a, a very interesting interjection we had a uh, a media briefing uh during the bahrain two weeks with thomas Loudenbach, the head of uh porsche motorsport and one of the things that thomas said in that media briefing i found very very interesting when he said 
you know, in the recent past, we've had three wins in a row at Le Mans by three different manufacturers. Toyota have done it, Porsche have done it, Audi have done it. I think Audi have done it three times, if I remember rightly. Um, and he said that era is gone. Yeah. You know, in the era of BOP, we're all going to have to understand that we can't win every time. We're going to have to deal with that internally and deal with that in terms of the expectations for our management. We've got to learn that in the era of BOP, the cost of getting the depth of competition that you want is that that's now not it's not going to be possible for you to come in and dominate in terms of pace. That's not what BOP is about. And I found that an incredibly healthy um outlook from someone coming into what i think is going to be a bear pit of yeah. competition uh, moving forward and let's hope that's the kind of an attitude that is amplified through uh, the other factories and, and and through that paddock i don't want to to, to walk into another paddock uh, over the extended period that we had for two weeks with that that being there and i think there's a number of people that can learn lessons from that the rule makers could learn the lesson because there are things they can do to help people to understand and to appreciate and to respect the rules, uh, the, the decisions that are made better than they that they were. The manufacturers and teams involved, to be honest with you, I'll say that out loud, get in your box, really. Mm. Come on. You well, know. No, no one complains when they've got a good BOP. Everybody's no. quiet. The, no. the only complain when, when it doesn't when it's not going their way. And you know life doesn't go your way all the time that's just that's just life isn't yeah. it you know, you've, you've got to, i think a lot of people with far too many, much energy just kind of going banging on about it and certainly yeah. as a driver i always felt look at the end of the day personally it's out of my control I, i've got the car that i've got i've got to make the best of what i've got okay if somebody from within the organization wants to to to, to pursue it then that that's fine but a lot of energy is spent discussing it talking about it whinging about it but no one ever no one ever's no, people are always very quiet when it, when they've got a good BOP, aren't they? So uh, uh, they are indeed. Oh, there's one final audience, by the way, which is the media, and I'm part of it. Which is, we have got to stop just looking for those kind of simple and frankly simplistic headlines that that talk about crisis and talk about they've got no chance here, there, and everywhere. And actually, a, a really good conversation with a young journalist in the paddock at Bahrain, where I said to him, "Look, you know." You've got to stop amplifying this. You know, it's fine. It's it's a point to mention, but there's a headline. The reality is, all you're really doing is furthering someone else's political agenda by chucking that in, it, not just once, but two and three and four and five times. And, and my concern, if you like, for for that level is this: Look, I'm in my late fifties now. I'm not going to be around for a very very long time. Uh, in that uh, uh, arena. But if you continue down that line that, you know, any argument about, uh, you know, about balance of performance is going to be a major story for that weekend. And then you look at what we're going to have, which is hypercar and GT3, which means you've got a hell of a lot of balance of performance going on. You could find yourself in a 20 year career, where that's all you write about. Yeah. And that don't think that's where anybody wants to be. I think basically Myself and my colleagues are going to take a big gulp of breath, take a two steps away from the uh, from the story and the immediacy and look at the bigger picture here. This sport is going to be fundamentally different. You've seen it because you've been imbued for many years yeah. with that Bentley program um, in 
SRO racing where BOP was the reality, was one of the defining realities of it, and it allowed the Blancpain GT Series and now GT World Challenge to flourish in the way that it does. Without it, yeah. we wouldn't have the Intercontinental GT Challenge. We wouldn't have the 12 Hours of Bathurst. We wouldn't have the modern-day success that is the Spa 24. None of is those it, things. It's a bit like, it's a bit like, I mean, it's a bit like COVID, isn't it? It's kind of here to stay, certainly for the for the foreseeable. And you know, at the end of the day, we've just got to we've just got to get. It's, it's BOP's here to stay, and there's going to be unhappy people and, and happy people, and that's that's just life. And at the end of the day, yeah. we just got to fo- let's focus on the racing. Let's focus on the, the 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 feel good, the exciting stories, the the great drives, the great performances. Um, and let, let's 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 focus on that, and not be talking about stuff that's actually completely out of our control because we can't control yeah, if, it so if, why worry if, about if it you're, if you're a fan of uh, you're not a fan of balanced performance guy do you I, I firmly believe the after the first couple of races where we've got people going three and four wide through into and hopefully out of the first turn and through the first and the second uh, stints of those races in numbers I think we're pretty quickly going to forget about balanced performance if we can get racing of that quality and you know, it, it is, I think, a matter of just people stepping a little bit away from the purism of it, accepting the fact this is where we are. If, if, if it's something you don't want to be kind of following, then reality is maybe motorsport in the modern era isn't for you. Yeah. But I have a feeling that if the manufacturers, as good as they are in developing their brand profile and pushing people towards their product and their racing and et cetera, et cetera. And the championships, both IMSA and the WEC take a big step forward because I think a lot of that challenge is about the way they present that racing. Um, if we can get to the, the to this new era with this looking exciting, making it easy to follow, hopefully free, big asterisk here hopefully free i'll say it again so, so i think there's a huge audience there just ready to roll with this and if you want the proof that that's the case look at what happened on the lockdown look what happened with sim racing look how it, how easy it was to draw you know a really enthusiastic uh, enthusiastic audience to a sport or a part of a sport that no one sorry not no one but a significantly smaller marketplace have been interested in to that point and some of them have stayed with sim racing despite the fact that all the traditional offers are there available it can be done and i think it's time now to get behind where we're going because it isn't going to be any different get behind where we're going rather than actually pointing out where all the problems are that's my rent for the day (laughs) yeah the the next the next five years for sports car six seven years for sports car racing is going to be potentially completely in a golden a golden golden period now's the time to get the fans now's the time to engage with the fans get and, and get them you know to become fans of sports car racing because it is amazing and this is the time to be you know getting the sort of people eyeballs on the sport really so uh, yeah fingers crossed we can do that and uh, make it even more uh, accessible and, and more uh, exciting for people to see absolutely right let's have a quick look further down through the work outcomes eco stuff uh a couple of bits and pieces here about a couple of developing hypercar stories uh, Oliver Torvosaurus uh, from uh, the both Discord group and from uh, from Twitter. There'll be something more on DSC on that in the next few days, so I'm not going to get into much on that one. Let's have a quick look. Uh, Damien Peachman, will the changes at Abu Dhabi for F1 improve 
these circuits uh, and make it more raceable for the Asian Le Mans series. So have you had a chance to have a look at what they've done with Yas Marina, Guy? I haven't. What, what are they? What are they doing? What's well, the plan? Got, well, it's done. Uh, so there's three oh. major changes. So the um, the hairpin down at the uh, the, uh, the, 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 the it's the far end of the circuit onto the back straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've they've uh, they've basically made that less tight, a lot quicker through there. You've then got. And I'm trying to remember the turn names. It's it's uh, the exit of the secondary pit lane. Uh, which is yep. down towards where the hotel end of things uh, things are, and they've got rid of corners there and made that quicker, and then they've uh, done some more minor works around where the W the, the Viceroy Hotel is to make that quicker through there. So I guess it's been done principally for Formula One. Um, I actually think uh, Yas Marina was pretty good for sports car racing. I, I, you know, I think it did offer uh, something that other tracks. Uh, sometimes don't. I'm not convinced that actually making the whole thing quicker and more flowing is necessarily a good thing for for mixed class racing. But we're going to find out because there's a lot of racing at Yas Marina uh, in the coming weeks in sports cars. We've got the Golf 12 Hours, we've got the Abu Dhabi Six Hours from Creventic, and then we've got the second two Asia Le Mans Series races in um, in February. But what, I mean, what makes a good sports car circuit? What makes a good sports car? I mean, I mean, I would say it's got it's got most of the things that would make a good sports car circuit. I mean, it's got the high speed section, uh, which yep. is obviously you know, it's sort of certainly with the P1 cars or the LMP cars, it, it demonstrates their you know crazy sense of, of downforce and speed, which is which is which is amazing. Um, but you know, it's always good to have a mixture of sort of medium and, and slow speed corners. You, you mentioned there that the, some of those slow speed corners may be going, which which is a shame because I think it you know to kind of make it um, you know have have a, have a good mix of different corners in. Um, it's nice to have those those tight corners, but um, I, I think it's a great. I, I agree with you. I think it's a great circuit, and and certainly from what we've seen in the Asian Le Mans series, um, you know the, the 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 past year, it it was it was very very good. So. Um, I'm sure the race in the world be will be fantastic um, again uh, next year. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see how how the circuit looks. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. The other thing it's got is it's got a, a neat uh, mix of areas of the circuit where it's wide, and if you've got the pace, you can get by. But also areas where traffic is going to bunch the field up, which is another good thing for mixed class racing. You know, you've got to be able to get past and if you can't get past it frankly just makes it easier for the likes of me who's got a microphone strapped to his head uh, to raise my voice once in a, once in a while but uh, that's always a good thing it's also um, got sunshine which is oh, also, which is I'll also a big, a big a big plus for that time of year sunshine is something that um we we don't have so i'll i'll, I'll no. definitely give it that <laughs> No, I mean, coming back from two weeks in Bahrain where we barely got below 30 oh, degrees, standing really, uh, at, at a very windy Heathrow bus station to make my way home when it was barely grazing 10. I can tell you that was a, that was a wake-up call. <laughs> um, let's have a look. Pete Hernandez says, Graham, any word on whether or not we'll see the new Ginetta LMP3 in the Asian or European uh, Le Mans races in 2022? Thought it was a pretty sharp-looking car, albeit a little off the pace in the Asian Le Mans series last year. Well, there are more of them about now. Now, um, we, uh, the, the ARC Bratislava cars were bought back into the UK. And in fact, one of those was used um, as one of the challenge cars for the, is it still the, it's not McLaren Autosport, it's Aston Martin Autosport. But it was used, wasn't it? It was used yeah. in the, in the, in the, the, the shootout, yeah. 
being prepared by BBM Sports, mm. uh, more uh, widely known as preparers of historic Group C and uh, the Masters Endurance Legends cars. But they've got two of those cars in their fleet now. And there may very well be uh, places you might well see those cars in 2022. They would have raced the end of 2021, but the car owner of the car that was ready to go, unfortunately, suffered a little bit of ill health. So hopefully they'll be back with that one. There are a couple of more cars out there doing uh, the Ultimate Cup. Um, Franz Conrad has got one as well as yes. Neil. So, so France, I, I had heard that France might well be a taker for the Asian Le Mans series. I'm not sure we've seen that yet. Okay. I hope we do. Um, how well do you know France? I don't know him that well. It's just, it's just, it's just sort of, is he Austrian? Is he Austrian? I think he is Austrian, isn't he? It, it just, it, it just like, I remember he's been racing since, I mean, I've, I've been racing since, oh, God knows when. I mean, and, and I remember France, <laughs> France been, France been sort of like a, a sort of relatively elderly, mad Austrian. Even then, back in the day, <laughs> he's still going strong now. So fair play to well, him. He's seventy now. He's seventy. Well, I mean, obviously he gave. Um, I think he. Uh, I believe Ollie may have driven for him back at back in the day. I mean, he's given a lot of young drivers um, a chance into sports cars. So, um, and, and Edwards, another. Yeah, absolutely, and a great character, a good driver, you know, fantastic driver. Um, and great to see him still doing it, really. And as you said, at 70 or, or, or whatever old he is, he's, he's doing it. And, uh, yeah, great to see him. I just saw he, he popped up right on Daily Sports. He did. He was, uh, yeah. he was, was out racing, so it's great. Yeah, so there's, there's two, two of the Ginettas have shown in the Ultimate Cup in the latter part of this season. And pretty clear that Conrad are looking for where they might race that car i've as i said heard them linked in with continuation in uh in the ultimate cup and my guess is that franz will basically hone his skills there if he doesn't feel he's up to moving forward but um might we see that car in the michelin Le Mans cup well there's plenty of other german teams in the michelin Le Mans cup from that kind of community might we see it in asia we very well might um and it would be good to see some development getting into that car good race engineers behind those efforts and like, uh, like the p1 of, car graham it's, it's a similar kind of thing it's it's a fantastic piece yep. of engineering the car is 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 really 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 nice car but you know a nice car still needs developing and and testing etc etc you know if that went to a a top um european le mans series or michel le mans cup team i'm sure they would get the car on the pace because i think fundamentally everything's there it just needs a bit of time and a bit of tlc um yeah. so you look at you look at uh, after young charlie robertson don't you i do yeah i mean charlie i mean obviously charlie drove it back in asia and it, you know it was kind of pretty pretty raw um but you and, know and in fairness a compromise set up for the car owner for miro yes. yeah uh, but, but 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 the feedback has been you know anybody that's driven it is hey we you know the car's really well balanced it's 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 fantastic again it just needs it just needs that bit of testing um and and I think uh, I think it will be you know on a par with the the Ken and the uh, and the Ligier for sure. Yeah, I mean certainly by the time we got to the end of that season, Charlie was beginning to put in lap times that were pretty competitive as the the guys got their head around what was a very new car indeed for them. Yeah, and yeah, I'd love to see you know a few more of those cars coming out of Garforth and getting in there. It's you know yes, Ligier versus Duquesne has been all very well, but having a third kind of outlier out there would be pretty special 
would love to great. see how well that car it doesn't look that draggy so no. i wonder how quick that car could be at the road to le mans um you know i think we came pretty close to that happening this year uh but uh whether or not there's an opportunity to get one out in 2022 i'd love to see it i would love yeah. to see it what else have we got here uh ricky zagata says with street races becoming more popular in formula one do you see the need or a chance for the WEC to move into new marketplaces using a street circuit. I will put my hand up here, Guy, mm. and will admit I have never been to a street circuit. You're kidding I've, me. No, I've never been to a race really? street circuit. No, there's been, oddly enough, there's been a number of times when my uh, so a championship I've been covering has visited a street circuit, and for whatever reason, usually when I had a day job, those were tenets of Poe. Uh, there was an opportunity to go where British GT were there. I didn't because I was busy. Uh, the two races at Bucharest, FIGT3, didn't go to those either. Um, never saw the, the Birmingham Super Prix. I have never, you never, you never went. You never went to the whole Kart Grand Prix. You never went to that. Never did that one either. Oh, wow, Amazing. Wow. I mean, all, I mean, those, all those blue ribbon events. But no, it's the, it's one of the astonishing things that, you know, when, you, when you're when covering particular championships, which is the way that my career has tended to work in motorsport, if they've not got street racing, then the reality is you're probably not going to do one of the outliers. So, yeah. no, I have never covered a street race live up covered you know obviously Le Mans and that's on yeah. public roads and you know, there's an argument to say uh, places like Mexico City is, is closer to that kind of feel but the, yeah. but the reality is no as for whether the wet might do that I, I don't immediately see it is the straight no. and honest answer I know there was a period of time where there was the outside possibility of a maybe the Asia Le Mans series might have. I mean, the the uh, now departed CEO, Cyril Teichvalen, was always looking for new and exciting opportunities. We nearly took the series to Suzuka. I know there were conversations with Vietnam. I know there were conversations with Singapore uh, as well. So, But those races never did happen. Might they on the new era with SRO? Well, that, that remains to be seen. But um, I don't know. I, I don't know about you, but I don't see that being something that WEC will want to do. I tend to agree with you. However, I think that they are fantastic events. I mean, obviously, going back again to IMSA, you know, Long Beach, um, I'm kind of thinking of all the, where else they've done. I mean, um, Baltimore, I haven't done Washington before, but I mean, there's obviously Miami. Um, yeah. And my my kind of general feeling is is they're they're really great they're great to drive um, because yeah. they're, they're just they're, they're just challenging I mean they're bumpy and tight and twisty and they're really good to drive and um, what I like about it is is they attract new fans because there's generally people in that city that you know are kind of at home and they hear the noise and what's going on and they kind of wander down and hey wow they, you know this is cool. So I think yeah. it opens it up to a new market, um, which I think is, is always is always really good. And um, they the tend to have to have a vibe around them because they you know, they build an event around it, you know, closing the roads off. And then they have like in Long Beach, there's all kinds of you know stalls going on and BMX riders and stunt stuff going on. So I, I think I think they 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 create a fantastic event um, and the, the sort of their own sort of theater within, you know, within the race, as it were. So. Uh, the WEC being kind of um, a little bit more um, l- less focused on the event uh, outside of event, more focused on the actual racing. Um, I, 
think I tend to agree with you that they may may not go that route. But I, I don't think it would be a, a bad move if they could find a, a, a cool city to host. I mean, we've seen it with Formula E. I mean, let's be fair, the circuits look pretty crappy, but they 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 get you know they get a good crowd um the the events themselves are fantastic so i think there's something to be learned from it um but um i, th- I think you're right probably in the short short term it's, it's probably not going to happen well it'd be an interesting one i know you know they've tried it um numerous times with the sro products might that be somewhere where we might see them uh, go back obviously the macau race it's this weekend in fact uh, not not the fia gt world cup this year but uh, a more local race as it often was back in the day mm. you know it's got a fan base this and i get that and you know as long as the the safety side of things is you know nailed down see no reason why we shouldn't be looking at it with some form of sports cars the big big thing for me though between a GT race and a sports car race. And, you know, it is that business around traffic mm. and the, the, you know, for an all GT three race, get it slightly more edgy, isn't it? When you've got yeah. GT three cars and hyper cars and LMP two cars in the mix at that point, you know, those concrete walls can be very, very, very close with very little room for maneuver and a move that would have been fine at Laguna Seca or even at uh, Road Atlanta might be a little more uh, questionable around a street track. But, you know, at the yeah, end agree. of the day, the American Le Mans series and IMSA have made it work. It would be an interesting one, wouldn't it? It would give us plenty of plenty of uh, post bag on the weekend sports cars. I can tell you that without a shadow of a doubt. Um, let's have a look. Let's move on through that. We're well over the hour now. And we're going to get into our uh, what we call here general, the general and the fun. Okay. And I want to hear from Stephen Gates. I'm going to chuck this your way uh, after I've had a quick crack at it. After Valentino Rossi's emotional MotoGP farewell at the weekend, his impending switch to sports cars, how excited are you to be able to interview him on his change of career? Hashtag me personally. I'll be bouncing off the walls in anticipation. I have actually spoken to him. Um, I was at the Golf 12 Hours when he made one of his appearances there perfectly open to being asked questions about racing, et cetera, et cetera, within the normal boundaries that you find around an absolute racing megastar. Particularly interested, though, Guy, what do you think about this? I mean, pretty clear he's heading to GT racing. Yep. Um, putting aside for a moment the fact that I know Porsche have had a crack at getting uh, Valentino on board, we're not yet sure whether or not it's Porsche or more likely Ferrari, and we're certainly not sure whether or not it's GT3 or GTE, and we're still not sure which championship it might be. But that is an exciting move. It's this is different from a Patrick Dempsey, a Michael Fassbender, or less you know, lest we forget, um, a Mark Webber or a Fernando Alonso. This is an established absolute megastar in a completely different area of motorsport who will bring a fan base with him. Completely agree. I think, um, obviously, yes, a super megastar legend in, in in what he's done, and and we, we know that he's quick in a in a in a, in a four wheeled uh, car. He's he's been fast in rally cars, and he's I think he's tested Formula One, and obviously he says he's done the, the GT racing. So, you know, he's going to be you know he's going to be um, he's going to be exciting to, to to watch. I think is trying to understand from Valentino's point of view: is he trying to? Is he doing this for fun? Um, when I say fun, I mean obviously to be competitive, but he wants to kind of just go racing, or is he thinking, okay, I want to be in LNDH down the line, I want to go and try and win Le Mans. So it's 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 understanding really what his objectives are. Um, but I think um, 
the, the the challenge ahead of him is 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 a big one. Um, but I think obviously is is talent is 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 second to none. So I'm excited to see which which direction he chooses. Um, it'll be a massive draw for any brand, whichever brand um, gets him in 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 one of their cars. I think it'll be a huge draw. And um, yeah, I think it's great for our sport again, as I said before. Um, to attract eyeballs onto sports car racing, it's only going to help having Valentino in, in that field. So, um, you know, we've got to, all the sports got to, to, to use that, his participate, participate, participation in the sport uh, in the best way possible. And, uh, and uh, hopefully uh, he'll, he'll enjoy it and do well. Pico, and uh, just a note from Marshall Pro when he listens into this podcast. That, my friend, is how you don't say a word that doesn't exist. You have two or three goes at it as oh, you did God, there that, with participation. That was, that was hard. <laughs> <laughs> that was hard work. I, I, I tend to agree. I mean, what we've the, the the best interview, by the way, I've seen so far with Valentino on this issue was uh, from the race and from their MotoGP reporter. Uh, it's very clear uh, from that um, interview that uh, Rossi is taking a look at this to, to just measure himself and see whether or not LMDH might be possible. You tend to read into that, that at some point he's going to have to try himself. If, if he can be competitive in a GT car, I think we'll pretty rapidly see him get a tryout in some form of prototype. I just think it's an exciting storyline. And I think it's a great test here, by the way, of wherever it is that he rocks up, of this part of the sport's ability to to do something we've not done well so far, which is to amplify that story to their existing audience and to an incoming audience, but not to to do it to the exclusion of everything else that's going on. This is a great sport, and it's great that other personalities have been drawn to it, but I don't want to see again what we saw with Fernando in the WC, which was the Fernando Alonso show. You know, Fernando was a great part of it, but so with the other 150 people in those big races and i think some lessons needed to be learned from that don't just run with one storyline to the exclusion of everything else because one thing and one thing only happens then you piss off most of the rest of the competitors and you piss off most of the audience as well to be honest with you so don't be like that again uh, let's celebrate the fact that the the utter genius that is Valentino Rossi might well be coming to play in our sandlot, and let's make him feel welcome. Let's make his fans feel welcome, and let's see what we can do to help him, to help us, to help a lot more people uh, show interest in what we all seem to agree, guys, is going to be this fantastic golden age that's coming with amazing racing on the horizon. Yeah, fingers crossed. Let's... Uh... Let's uh, watch with interest, definitely. Right, so we're going to finish off here with a couple of questions in our fun category. And you can be judge of whether or not they're fun. George Buder says, with Jeremy Shaw from IMSA Radio, intentionally stumbling when he mentions the Vassar Sullivan cars, he asks, what is the plural form of Lexus? I can tell you that the plural form of Lexus is to Lexus. That's it. You need to go no further than that. We're not going to get into the rest of it. Or... By the way, if they do add a further car, three Lexus. It's that simple. Um, James Counter is going to finish this uh, for us. Uh, Please, can you confirm, both of the Corvettes racing in both WC and IMSA will both be in yellow, as they should be, and get rid of this grey. How can I tell Corvette that I think the grey is underwhelming? If you're listening, Corvette, 
Uh, James thinks your colour's underwhelming. Uh, what colour would you like to see the Corvettes in, Guy? I completely agree with James. I'm, 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 I'm so used to seeing the the, the yellow Corvettes, um, two yellow Corvettes. When I see the grey one, it just doesn't it doesn't scream Corvette to me. So I'm fully I fully agree with James. Yellow, you bright yellow. I'm yep. going to completely disagree just because I'm feeling kind of in that sort of <laughs> moment. I'm bored with the yellow Corvettes. I've told them many, many times I'm bored with the yellow Corvettes. Um, and I must admit, uh, talking to the Corvette PR guys at uh, Daytona last year, I think it was, um, and we were talking about the kind of the heritage liveries that um, we'd seen from Porsche, what a great impact they'd made. And my position there was, it's a rather limited palette for you to do that, isn't there, over the last, the last 20 years or so. I'd like to see them doing something different. Um, and I'd like to see them doing something, perhaps that is event specific. Uh, they're coming to the WEC. I think that's really exciting. It's great to see the C8R uh, coming along uh, and doing a full season in the World Championship. And I'd like to see them doing something a little bit special. Uh, with that effort, they're going. You should have the Oliver Gavin driving score down the side as a sponsor. I, well, I did hear he had to be ejected from the um, from the the, the, the pit awning for. Uh, <laughs> he was out there with a paint box. By the way, uh, he he will be listening because. Hi, Ollie. <laughs> uh, great to see. By the way, that the uh, that Ollie uh, had the first uh, preview event for the Oliver Gavin Driving Academy. 12 of those C8s he's got. 12. So if you're looking, forget the caravan, forget mm. the motorhome, get a Corvette for Molly for the weekend, guy. That's the well, way. Maybe, maybe if I can get a tow bar on the back of it, I can, I can, yeah. I can Ooh, double bubble. Yeah, there you go. He's, he's, he's got loads of them. He's got 12 of them. But it's great can. to see that he's uh, he's kind of finding that uh, that project is coming, to, coming together. In what's, let's face it, it's been a very challenging time yeah, absolutely. Uh, to launch any kind of enterprise. Um, I hope we get something a bit different. I, I tend to agree with you. The greys a little bit. Meh. Well, you know, it's one of those. It's like it's like it's a bit like drivers' helmets, and I don't know whether the listeners agree with me, but you know, now they get so there's so so much detail on them, and this, that, and the other, and all the rest of it. That actually, when you actually see them, there's so much detail on them, you can't actually tell. You can't color. No. So you know, I've kind of gone back to my old sort of base yellow, which is probably a bit boring by today's standards, but. At least you can see it, and and I think with the, with the Corvettes, you know, when especially as a prototype, when you're coming up on cars, you know, you can see the Corvettes from a mile away, and you kind of know what's happening. Whereas if it yeah. was kind of, you know, black with a white stripe and a red pinstripe, there's so many other cars that kind of look the same these days that you can, it's hard to tell what they are. So so maybe 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 not the yellow, maybe it was maybe bright pink, you know, maybe some, something that is a, a strong bold color that 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 differentiates it. That would be that would probably suffice. So there you see, you've the, the, you've heard it here first. Uh, the Corvette in the WEC are considering uh, Dyna Rod yellow, uh, orange for what <laughs> their uh, their effort. I can remember, by the way, you said about the kind of the 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 visibility of the cars. Uh, back in my days covering the British GT Championship, and we had a couple of in black teams. and white. It was in black and white back then. That's right, and it was it literally was all fields round there. That's what it was. <laughs> but um, we had a couple of teams running the little Ultima. Um, you will recall, I'm sure, Colin Blower back in the day. Yes, yes. And Colin, bless his memory, um, uh, had a very rapid uh, Ultima, uh, and there was another car too, uh, run by Master Motorsports, and that team uh, had a blue car which they found was getting into all sorts of trouble, very low slung, 
uh, all sorts of trouble looking for gaps in traffic and they couldn't be seen. So what did they do? They painted elements of the front car, front of the car in fluorescent yellow uh, and it solved some of those problems. So visibility, you know, from the mirrors of a fast moving and, you know, uh, vibrating race car um is is definitely a thing guy thank you so much uh for your time we're coming up on just under an hour and a half of the weekend sports cars this time great to have you along with us and i'm sure there'll be other opportunities when when we've got either myself or mp to get you back and do another of these and uh, we're going to have a few of those um challenges through the winter so i think you can expect if you're a regular listener uh, to have the odd guest here joining either MP or myself. Um, but, Guy, uh, always great to catch up with you. Um, you know, batshit mental you may be, but you're a good bloke. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, and, and thank you very much for having me. And I hope I, hope I haven't bored your listeners too much, but uh, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on. Well, we're going to close it with this. Uh, he's been motorsport legend, Guy Smith. I've been Graham Goodwin. Uh, with thanks again, this time not belatedly, to Cooper Tyres, to... Uh, the Justice Brothers and to TorontoMotorsports.com. This has been part of the Marshall Podcast. We'll see you next week.